So today for our sermon, we're starting a new series. We just finished up our series in the beginning and we took a look at Genesis in great depth and we finished that off last week. And now we're gonna start a new series called Key Relationships. And so as you might expect, we're gonna look at some key relationships, certainly an appropriately named uh, sermon series and title. Um, and we're gonna look at these important relationships both human relationships, the relationship of us with some other person, but we're gonna really conclude with that all-important relationship, our relationship with God himself, with Christ himself. And really, I wanted to do this series and focus on relationships because God is a God who cares about relationships. He cares about our relationship with him, of course, and so we're gonna sort of conclude on a high note with that and talking about that. But he also cares about human relationships as well, all, all sorts of human relationships. Today, we're gonna to be looking at the relationship of a person with his or her spouse, so that spousal relationship, that wonderful relationship of a husband and wife, but certainly God cares about other relationships, and we'll take a look at those relationships within the church between brothers and sisters in Christ even just all human relationships we're called to love others and care for others and so God is very much concerned about relationships and seeing wholeness and, and peace and, and the thriving in all relationships and so I thought this is really an important topic it's something scripture certainly touches upon quite a bit and so let's take a look at it and let's look and dive deeply in the top uh, concerning the topic of relationships and specifically today that of marriage the relationship of a person with one's spouse and scripture certainly has quite a bit to say about the topic of marriage, and we're going to take a look at this. We're going to look at a number of different passages. But before we even do, I want to talk a little bit sort of statistics-wise, statistically speaking, uh, talk about some statistics on marriage in our country. And probably you sort of know where things are going a little bit. You've probably heard some statistics on marriage and the stats are not particularly good. Uh, marriages are not thriving in our country. God certainly desires to see marriages thrive. He hates divorce. He doesn't want to see divorce by any means. And yet in our country, divorce is sort of rampant. It's just, in many cases, often just the norm and to be expected. And that's not what God desires. And here are a few statistics. And this isn't just some random person coming up with some statistics. I'm not making these up or some other pastor. These are, are, are uh, professionally done Barna uh, surveys that they've done and statistical surveys. Um, and so here are some of the stats on, on marriage in our country, in the U.S., and this is sort of the first one concerning all adults. So for all adults, this isn't just Christians, we're not just talking about the church here, but for all adults in the US who have been married, 33% have been divorced at least once. And this doesn't mean that 33% of marriages are going to end in divorce or hey, if you get married at some point, uh, there's a 33% chance that you'll wind up with a divorce on your track record, right? This means at this very moment, 33% of people who have gotten married have already gotten divorced, right? That doesn't mean if you're in the, the, the two-thirds, right, the 67%, that doesn't mean that you've stood the test of time and now you're on your deathbed and you've been married once and you sort of made it the whole span of your life. That's not what the stat is saying. This is sort of taking a snapshot of the U.S. right now and saying of those who've been married, and many of those people have only been married maybe a week or a month or a year, and even including those people, the reality is 33% of people who've been married have already been divorced 
at least once. And of course, if you think of over the course of the whole span of people's lives, that statistic can only grow. And so the reality is that for those who get married at some point, you might even increase this number possibly, this is sort of speculative on my part, but maybe 50% of people who get married are going to go through a divorce at some point or another in our country, right? 33% have already gone through a divorce or more than one divorce even. But of course, that number over the course of the span of one's life is only going to increase. And so those are horrible statistics, right? You wouldn't want those numbers to be, you know, oh, well, what are the percentages for divorce? You'd hope it would be zero, certainly, ideally speaking, but at least that it would be an awfully small number, and yet it's incredibly high. And you might think, well, you know, is the church doing a little bit better? Maybe that's, you know, that's sort of our country at large. That includes people who aren't Christian and so forth, and maybe they're the big numbers there, but the church is doing a lot better. But the reality is that isn't the case, right? In this Barna study that they did, uh, they had a classification of people that they labeled born-again Christians. Not that they necessarily identified as such using that title for themselves, but basically the way they defined this category was those who really profess the core of the faith, the core of the gospel, and affirm that, have true faith in Christ. And for those people who claim that, who profess that, 32%, right, not 33, 32, 1% better, uh, but, but really negligibly better, 32%, again, have already gone through a divorce, and of course that number can only increase, sadly. And so if you think about it, even sort of the supposed Bible-believing church, those who claim faith in Christ, well, 1% better, and even statistically speaking, that's sort of in the normal margin of error that statistically they'd be considered identical, uh, no change. Now, they also had another category in their study here that they called evangelicals. And this is sort of, they meet not just that criteria for what, what deems one born-again Christian, but they also affirm certain other doctrines. Uh, they say that their faith is extremely important to them in their lives right now. Uh, they affirm that the Bible is God's word and inerrant. And there were some other things as well. So sort of what they try to get at with this category is not just people who maybe on some level would call themselves born-again Christians or meet that criteria, but really the people who are serious about their faith. That's sort of what they're getting to with this category. Well, what are the percentages for that group? Maybe they're doing a lot better than the 33% for our country or the 32% for born-again Christians. And the reality is they're doing a little bit better, but the divorce rate for those who've been married, right, 26% have already gone through one or more divorces. And so, okay, you know, seven percentage points better than sort of the rest of the country, but that's still an awfully small distinction, right? We should certainly hope to see that the church is living in a, a radically and fundamentally different way than the rest of the world, and that the numbers would be so greatly different regarding divorce, and yet the reality is marriages in the church, even for those who claim that they're serious about the faith, right, marriages are still struggling. They're not thriving. There are certainly marriages that are thriving. I don't, I don't mean to say that, but there's certainly a great struggle in regard to marriage, even within the church. This is just sort of something that our culture really has an issue with that has become a great issue, not just in the U.S., but is really filtered into the church as well, where people think it's sort of nothing to dispose of a marriage. Oh, yeah, I married that person. I committed myself to them. But even within the church, often it's the mindset, if it's not working for me anymore, it's not easy, it's not so pleasurable, it's not all I hoped it would be, well, I can just sort of throw that out and maybe I'll find a new spouse and have a new marriage, right? And so we see this problem within, within the church. Uh, and so I really think it's an important thing for us to talk about, for the church to be talking about, not just key relationships generally, but this is a very important one. I would say the most important relationship 
next to your relationship to the Lord is that relationship with your spouse. And we see that even in the church, those relationships are struggling. Now, I do want to say, sort of as a, little, as a little note here, that I don't think New Hope Chapel as a church struggles with this. We have uh, a whole host of marriages where people are celebrating, you know, 20th anniversaries, 30th, 40th, 50th, and, and counting. And we have a lot of really wonderful and strong marriages. Uh, but even that said, that doesn't mean that we can't still grow and improve our marriages. As good as they may be, they're not perfect. And it's still always good to be challenging ourselves to really grow and develop in our marriages as well. And so I don't think we sort of reflect the rest of the church all around us, that doesn't mean that we can't still grow. And so I still think it's an important topic for us to, to touch upon. So let's really dive into scripture and see what scripture has to say about marriage and specifically really how we can engage in our marriages to see them thrive all the more, to see them characterized all the more by wholeness. And we're going to look first at Ephesians chapter 5. You can certainly flip there in your Bibles if you'd like. And we're going to be looking at verses 22 to 33. So Ephesians 5, 22 to 33, Paul writing here, and I'll read this for us. I'll sort of pause at points and interject and do some teaching as we work our way through this passage. And here's what it says. Paul writes, Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Already concerning the culture around us, you know, anyone who subscribes to this is going to be pretty unpopular in our world today, right? Oh, you know, this isn't fair for women, you know, they're to submit to their husbands, right? We live in a, sort of a day and age sort of with a feminist culture and, and equality and everything. And certainly men are, and women are viewed as equal in God's sight. They have equal value in the sight of the Lord. That's certainly true, biblically speaking. But equal doesn't have to mean the exact same roles. One can be equal in value and worth uh, in the sight of the Lord and yet still have distinct and different roles. And that's certainly the reality between men and women and, and in general, but certainly as they come together uh, in marriage. And that's, of course, what's being spoken of here, right? Wives, right? Husbands are given the authoritative role, that role of authority within the marriage. And certainly even in other spheres of life, men are to hold the positions of authority, whereas women are to be under the authority. But I'll talk a little bit more about this because even as Paul's talking about this, he's sort of drawing this parallel relationship between marriage, husband and wife and that relationship, and also the relationship between Christ and his church. So let's sort of read on here. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Right? Don't worry, we'll get, you know, if you're, if you're a wife there, you're thinking, well, oh, we're going to talk about what I have to do and I have to submit. We'll get to the men. And I always sort of say, as I'm touching upon this passage, I think the husbands have it tougher here, but we'll get to that in a minute. Uh, but so what is Paul doing here? He's really saying that there is this parallel relationship between husband and wife and Christ in the church. And I would really say that, in fact, God created marriage. There are sort of secondary purposes in the creation of marriage, populating the earth, certainly being fruitful and multiplying. And certainly it's a blessing. And God, I think, uses it to sort of, uh, in a sort of iron sharpens iron way to help mature husbands and wives in their walk with the Lord. I think he has lots of secondary purposes, but I would say the primary reason for marriage and its establishment is to point to something else, is in fact to point to the relationship between Christ and his church. 
And that's what Paul's talking about here. And he says that, that these are sort of analogous to one another. And in a sense, the husband is representative of Christ and the wife is representative of the church. And so just as right, the church is to submit to Christ, who's in the position of authority over the church, well, wife, in sort of this, this parallel relationship, you are to submit yourself to your husband. Right? And so he's drawing this parallel, and that's part of the reasoning for these distinct roles. Certainly, it's just part of the, the way God made men and made women and the distinctions. But part of the reason for this in marriage as well is pointing toward the reality of the relationship of Christ and his church. And the whole point of marriage is to point to that relationship of Christ and his church and to be a wonderful reflection of it. Right? If we think of a marriage relationship, it is the deepest relationship between people that exists, characterized by deep love and great commitment, certainly, and this great blessing that comes from it. And indeed, there are certain special privileges that come in the midst of marriage, sexually speaking. Right. Now, if we think of the relationship between Christ and his church, we see a parallel here, right? Not in the sexual sense, but, but we'll talk about that. But we see a parallel in the sense of this is a wonderfully deep and profound relationship characterized by great love and commitment, right? There are certainly, there's certainly great joy that comes from it. And indeed, there are certain perks and special benefits and blessings, not sexual here, but of course, otherwise, that come with being a part of this relationship. The blessing of forgiveness and salvation and eternal life in Christ. And so we see that really the point of marriage is to point to this far greater and more significant relationship and to be a wonderful reflection of it, all for the glory of God. Right? We have a way of sort of making things about ourselves. And so when it comes to marriage, well, marriage must exist for me and purely for me and my enjoyment. And certainly God intends for marriage to be something that is a blessing and great enjoyment comes out of it. But first and foremost, it is meant for him for his glory and to be a reflection of this more significant relationship between Christ and his church. And so here, right, wives, what is your role? Well, to be reflective of the church and to submit yourself. This is just part of the God-given role that he has given to women uh, and given to wives to submit to their husbands. You might think, you know, oh, I'm sort of drawn, getting the raw deal here. Why do I have to be the one who submits if you're the wife? But as I said, I think the husbands have it a little bit tougher because now we get to husbands. It's not like Paul says, wives, here's what you got to do. And husbands, you just get to bask in the glory of being the boss and do whatever you want. And you get to just sort of, you know, take advantage of your wife for your pleasure, whatever you want. Quite the opposite, right? As we read on here, verse 25, husbands, right? Here's what we have to do. The husbands love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. Right? So husbands, what do we have to do? Well, we have to love our wives. But, but it doesn't just end there. But right, we're told how we're to love our wives. And it's, again, thinking of this parallel relationship, these analogous relationships. Well, we're to love our wives just as Christ loved the church. Well, so, you know, well, think in your minds. Well, how did Christ love the church? What did he do? And we're sort of told here, right? He gave himself up for her and so forth and so on. But Christ loved the church with great care, concern for the church, commitment to the church, and with a wondrous and glorious self-sacrificial love for the church, right? What did he do? He loved the church so much that, well, he went to a cross 
died on a cross. There he took our sin, took our place, and bore the wrath of God so that we wouldn't have to, so that we might be forgiven through faith in him. Right? That is wondrous, glorious, the very epitome of, of wondrous, self-sacrificial love for another. And we're told, hey, husbands, that's what you have to do. That's your role. I think, maybe I'm crazy, but I think the submitting sounds a lot easier than loving my spouse as Christ has loved the church. And so, right, the picture here in the sense of even for wives who might have a hard time with the oh, submit to your husbands as to the Lord, right? The view here is, yes, wives, submit yourselves to the husbands, but the, to your husbands, but the role of the husband isn't then to take advantage of that and, and use his position of authority for himself from a selfish perspective, but rather he uses his position of authority out of then great love to be a blessing to his wife. Right? And so the husband, in his role of authority, because he loves his wife so much so, he loves his wife as Christ loves the church, that he's not going to use his authority in an abusive way for himself, for selfish gain, but rather he's going to use his position of authority, his leadership, to serve his wife, to be a blessing to his wife. And so it's this wonderful picture of marriage, not this, oh, I have to submit, and, and you know, in our culture today, that doesn't sound so wonderful and great. But this is God-ordained, this is how he has established marriage to be this wonderful reflection of the relationship of Christ to his church. Husbands have the position of authority, but are to use that to lovingly be a blessing to their wives, and wives are then to submit to their hus husbands. But now let's read on. Verse 29, that's where we left off. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds and cares for it, just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Right? This is part of that role of sort of being the one under authority, right? the wife being under the authority of the husband. Part of what goes with that is a respect for the authority that is over you. And that doesn't mean that husbands don't need to respect their wives. Right? A husband should respect his wife, but there's sort of a different sort of way of respecting. A husband should respect his wife in the sense of, well, this is someone God loves and cares for, made in his image, and I ought to respect uh, this person who God cares for dearly and is made in the image of God. For the wife, there's also this whole authoritative dynamic where being under a position of authority, there ought to be a respect for that authority that is over them. And again, this is the way God has created marriage, the way he has established it. But I want to talk here really specifically from the perspective of, of what does Scripture talk about as, as good principles that we want to see in our marriages and live out and exhibit in our marriages to help the marriages to really thrive, to see wholeness and, and thriving take place in the marriage. And I'd say here in this passage, we see some of those. Right From the get-go, we see love being central. If we want to see marriages thrive, if we want to sort of turn the tide on marriages in our country, and instead of seeing divorce just continue to run rampant, instead if we want to see that change and see marriages stand the test of time and, and really be a good and wonderful and accurate reflection of Christ's relationship to his church, well, then we need to see love present. And certainly there's a special calling on the husband to love his wife as Christ has loved the church. But the reality is that doesn't mean that the wife doesn't have to love her husband in that sense same way. In fact, if we turn, you don't have to, I can read it for us quickly, but if we turn to John chapter 15, verse 12, this is Jesus speaking, and here's what he says. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. 
And here he's talking to the disciples, and he has specifically in mind, right, he's not talking specifically about marriage here, I realize that, but I think we can still apply it to the marriage relationship. But he's talking about here sort of within the church, within his followers, that his followers are to love one another as he has loved them, as Christ has loved them. And certainly you could really apply that to any human relationship, including a marriage, that we are called to love people generally, and certainly how much more so one's spouse, right? We are to love that person as Christ has loved us. And so certainly wives, you're still called to love your husband as Christ uh, has loved the church, certainly, showing great self-sacrifice and commitment and care and concern as Christ has shown toward us. But there is sort of that special calling based on that parallel relationship in a marriage, the relationship between Christ and the church. There's a special sense in which husbands are called to that type of love, that Christ-like love. But if you want to see a marriage thrive, right, it's not going to thrive with love being absent. And it's also not going to thrive if that love is sort of an awfully self-centered love. And I'd say that's very much what we see in marriages today. I think for, for many in our world today, well, the reason they even get married is their own pleasure and enjoyment. It's not sort of this uh, selfless mindset of, I just love this person so much and I want to be with that person. There should be a sense of, yes, I know there's going to be blessing that comes from me. But I'd say very much the mindset is all about oneself. It's all about me. And if this person can bring me happiness and pleasure, well, why don't I marry that person? And so often it's sort of a, a selfish mindset, even if there is still some love there, rather than, no, I have this wonderful selfless love where I'm willing to give of myself for this other person. And so if you bring two people together into marriage and they're, they're view of marriage and view of the other person is, well, yeah, I sort of love you to some extent, but I'll love you as long as there's something in it for me. Well, suddenly if tough times come and there are hardships and difficulties and marriage isn't so easy, it doesn't seem so pleasant, well, then people sort of check out and say, well, why don't I just sort of try again and find someone new and, and start over and, and wind up in a new marriage? And so people often do that. But rather, we need to see a love. If you want to see your marriage thrive, see that, that spousal relationship thrive and deepen, there needs to be a self-sacrificial love that is present. And I also want to talk about this as we talk about self-sacrifice. I think sort of the topic of compromise kind of is, is a subcategory of it, right? In a sense, compromising, and this is an important thing in marriage, is both parties sacrificing of themselves to some extent to reach some sort of common ground where they can both be happy with the end result. And I think it's an important, uh, certainly important thing in a marriage to see compromise taking place, to have that sort of self-sacrificial mindset where maybe you're willing to yield altogether on some matter and just give your spouse whatever they want. But oftentimes it's a wonderfully healthy thing for both parties to say, you know, I care about you and I love you, and so I don't need to get what I want. I'm, I'm very much willing to yield and let some find some sort of common ground where we can both sacrifice to some extent, but also at the same time both get something that we're thrilled and happy with. And I think if you want to have a successful and thriving marriage, that's important. Having that loving self-sacrifice and compromise is sort of naturally a part of that. But we also see in this passage, not just love is something that's central to a healthy, thriving marriage, and so if we want to see that relationship thrive, we need to see love. I'd say that we also see respect as something that is present here in this passage, right in that last verse, that needs to be present to, to see a marriage really thrive and deepen and be all that God intended for it to be. And certainly there's a special burden upon the wife to show that proper respect uh, to her husband. And I'd say this is an area in which I think our culture really does struggle. I, I think 
sort of the way our culture has gone and women's rights and, and so forth and so on, I think gender roles and distinctions have sort of been torn down and now we bring that into a marriage all too often and think of it, the roles must be identical. There certainly can be no sort of hierarchical structure. That's the world's way of thinking. And so there's a rejection of that and in that is often on the part of the wife maybe a rejection of showing that sort of respect to one's authority in marriage. And I think that often creates a breakdown as the husband might feel disrespected. Uh, his role as authority is sort of usurped from him to some extent and we see a breakdown happen happening in marriages. But also what needs to happen is not just the wife showing respect, but also husbands. I think all too often it can, it can go that way as well, where the husbands fail to show appropriate respect for one's wife, this wonderful creation, this wonderful woman whom God has made in his image and just delighting in that woman and showing great respect for that person as well. And so we need to see not just love, but certainly respect as well present if we want to see marriages thrive and deepen and be all that God intended them to be. But I want to take a look at another passage here. We're going to read Colossians chapter 3, verse 13. You can flip there if you'd like. And we're going to see some other principles that are important, again, if we want to engage in our marriages in a way that's going to cause them to deepen and improve and really be characterized by wholeness and thriving, then we really need to live out some of the characteristics that we see in this passage. So this is Colossians 3, 13. And Paul says here and writes, Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And again, I know that this isn't Paul here talking about marriage specifically and husbands and wives. How are you to relate to one another? Right? He's talking about particularly again within the church, right? How the church is to operate and within the church as brothers and sisters in Christ, we should be bearing with each other, forgiving one another if we have a grievance against someone and forgiving as the Lord has forgiven us. But certainly these principles can also be applied to marriages as well. And the reality is in a marriage, right, you're living in the same space, you're interacting with one another day after day, it's only a matter of time before there's friction, before there's going to be some sort of conflict. We're broken, sinful creatures. It's a guarantee that it's going to happen. But the question is sort of, what are you going to do with it when it arises? Are you going to extend forgiveness when your spouse wrongs you? You know, if there's something that they do that just routinely seems to get on your nerves and irritate you, you know, are you going to bear with them, as the passage talks about? Are you going to be patient with them? Are you going to persevere in your marriage and show patience and be long-suffering with them? Are you going to extend forgiveness? Or are you going to say, no, you know, I'm not going to be forgiving. I'm just going to hold on to it. I'm going to hold a grudge. I'm going to let that anger just sort of fester and it'll turn into this bitterness and maybe even ultimately hatred, and then it'll tear us apart, right? We're obviously not to do that, but we're to do what this passage commands, right? When that friction happens, when this conflict, and it's going to happen at one point or another, right, we need to be patient. We need to bear with one another in a marriage, husbands and wives bearing with one another, showing patience and perseverance toward the other person and in marriage and extending forgiveness. We need to do that. And as it says, forgive as the Lord forgave you. Just as right, God has been long-suffering toward us, been patient with us in our sin, in our rebellion, has persevered in love toward us and has forgiven us completely in Christ. In the same way that God has shown us that, Christ has shown us that, we ought to show that to one another. And how much more so, of course, not just in any relationship, but in our relationship with our spouse. And again, if we don't live that out, what you're going to see is, is the wrongs building and building and there's going to be an anger and a bitterness that sort of you cling to and hold on to. It's going to fester and it will tear the two apart. 
But I want to talk about another principle, right? If we want to see thriving in our marriages, if we want to see our marriages be healthy, I'd say that there are some other principles as well. We've talked about some love, self-sacrifice, compromise, respect. We've talked about forgiveness, patience, perseverance. But I also would say that communication, and specifically healthy communication, is awfully important in marriage. And it's one of those that I sort of look at and I always think seems like common sense. Like, you know, you're in a marriage, you live together, you ought to communicate well with one another. And yet in my experience, very often that's not the case. Whether it's doing premarital counseling or counseling a couple that's going through something in marriage, very routinely couples really fail to communicate about anything of substance. And I'm not saying that that happens to be you guys, but this is often very much true that, that couples really struggle to communicate in a healthy way. Either they don't communicate at all, and I've seen this in, in cases, I mean, here's just sort of a good example. I'm not breaking any confidence or anything here, but um, and it's not at this church anyway. Uh, but I remember doing premarital counseling with a couple. Uh, this is back at the church I was at before in Florida. Um, and they had been together for a number of years. They had been engaged for quite some time. And, and we were just going through materials and, and really just sort of equipping them and getting them ready for, for their marriage. And one of the topics was sort of you know, well, kids, you know, do you want to have kids? How many? Have you talked about these things? In my mindset, it's sort of like if you've been together for years and you've even been engaged for a year, I got to imagine that you've talked about kids. Do you want kids? How many? And so I sort of brought this up expecting, you know, they've talked about it, surely, you know, after that many years, you'd imagine you have to. And yet it was sort of like, oh no, it's never come up. You know, in my mind, I'm thinking, how could it never come up after years and years of being together? And yet, Fortunately, they were on the same page. You know, they wanted kids. They wanted a couple kids. It worked out. It was, it was good. But, but that's just a wonderful example of how people really don't communicate about things, right? They, they really don't. All too often, people don't communicate about things of, of substance and things that matter. And instead, it's just sort of, well, we get along. We sort of like one another's company. Let's get married. Well, maybe you ought to talk about substantive things and find out if you're a good fit for one another. And that's, so that's just a good example of how I think often people don't communicate. But sometimes they do communicate, just not in a healthy way. There are times where people might communicate their needs or their wants or things that they're frustrated with, but they do so in a way that isn't healthy and productive. And maybe it's the yelling or the screaming. And it's uh, the way they communicate things is not in a way that sort of leads toward great resolution and, and is healthy for the relationship, but rather tears the relationship down all the more. And I think we see in Scripture, I'm going to look at a passage here. This is Matthew chapter 18, verse 15, that we see this pattern of communication being important. And this, I'll sort of mention this up front. Again, this isn't a passage about uh, marriage specifically. There isn't a passage that says, hey, husbands and wives uh, communicate well and in a healthy manner, right? That Bible verse is not found exactly in Scripture. But we do still see this pattern of the importance of communication, especially if there's sort of some sort of conflict going on between parties. So this is Matthew chapter 18. Verse 15, if your brother sins against you, Jesus is speaking here, and the context is really within the church, right? If there's sort of something that happens within the church. If your brother sins against you, right, what does Jesus tell him to do? It seems like common sense, but, and it is, but he says, go and tell him his fault, right? Not, hey, if your brother sins against you, uh, just assume that he can read your mind, that he knows that there's some sort of friction between the two of you, that he surely must know the wrong he's done, and so forth and so on, and sort of cling on, hold on to this wrong, and just sort of be angry at him, and let it sort of take root and fester. That's not what he says, right? If, if your brother sins against you, go and communicate with him. Go and talk to him. Go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother, 
right? I'd say it's sort of the same thing in marriage, right? If you have something against your spouse, and it's not just that you should communicate when there's some sort of conflict or friction, but certainly that is one of the times when you ought to, right? But if there's something that needs to be spoken about, if there's some sort of conflict, whatever it is, or something that needs to be addressed, right? Well, what should you do? You know, don't assume the person knows exactly what's on your mind, but go and talk to the person. Go and talk to your spouse. Communicate about it. And again, communicate in a way that's healthy, right? Don't be yelling. Don't be screaming. Don't be all about pointing the finger at the other person and somehow justifying yourself and making it clear the other person's the one who's wrong and it's all your fault and I'm innocent in the matter, right? Do it in a way that's healthy and loving and builds up. But I'd say this is an important quality of a healthy, thriving marriage. That there needs to be good communication in the marriage and healthy communication. But I do want to talk about one further point as well that's important, right? If we want to see marriages thrive, even as all too often, even within the church, marriages often aren't thriving. And, and as we talked about at the beginning, look at some of the statistics. Um, often divorce is just running rampant in churches, just like in the world at large all around us. But if we want to sort of turn things around, if we want to see marriages thriving, and that's something God desires. He desires to see wholeness in relationships, see wholeness in marriages. And he desires for marriages, again, as we talked about in Ephesians here, he desires for marriages to be a wonderful reflection of that wonderful relationship between Christ and his church. And, and of course, all that for his glory. If we want to glorify God in our marriages, uh, have our marriages thrive and be healthy, right? We want to live out some of these qualities that we talked about that are important in marriages, but I want to give one more, and it's this. It's not really directly addressing your relationship with your spouse. Uh, it's focusing on an even more important relationship, and if you want to see your marriage thrive, well, first, you really need to see your walk with the Lord thrive. That's just the reality, and if we even think practically about it, right, if you and your spouse are actively seeking after the Lord, drawing near to Him, focusing on your walk with Him, maturing in the faith, what's going to naturally result from that as you draw near to God and mature in the faith is that there's going to be an ever-growing and improvement in Christian character and conduct. And as you bring that thriving and improving and growing Christian character into any relationship, including your marriage, right, as both of you are maturing in the faith, improving in Christian character, and now you bring that into your marriage, what's naturally going to be the result is a healthier marriage, a marriage that thrives all the more, that's a blessing to each of you, husband and wife, all the more, that's going to better honor and glorify God and be a better reflection, of course, of to his church. And so if we really want to see our marriages thrive, if we want to draw near to one another, husband and spouse, we'll first draw near to the Lord. And as we focus on that relationship, as we grow in that walk, so will our relationship with our spouse grow as well in like kind. But I want to sort of recap and sum up. I know it's easy to sort of get lost in all the details, but sort of big picture, right? Marriage is a wonderful thing. It is a wonderful gift from God. It is a great blessing from Him. We ought to give Him thanks for it. But the reality is marriage is something that does take work. It takes effort, right? And all too often I think people are unwilling to sort of put the work in, put the effort in. They just sort of want to have it naturally all just fit together and be wonderful and everything's great and pleasant and enjoyable all the time and they don't have to put any effort in. And to no surprise, often that doesn't end so well. Right? And people, we need to be certainly willing to engage in our marriages, put in the work, put in the effort, invest in our marriages so that they might thrive. For our own blessing, because if our marriages thrive, certainly we're going to experience greater joy in them, but also as everything is ultimately for God and for His glory. 
Okay, so I want to give a specific challenge, right? We've talked about not just generally, hey, marriage is important and uh, put in the work and effort to see your marriage thrive, but I want to be very specific, sort of a, a to-do list in a sense, something very tangible that you can leave here with and say, I'm going to tackle this this week or the week to come and so forth and so on, right? And here's the, the very specific challenge that I want to give to us, right? We've talked about a lot of, of different important qualities that will help a marriage to thrive and improve and grow. We talked about love, self-sacrifice, uh, compromise, respect, forgiveness, patience, perseverance, communication, and drawing near to God so that the natural result of that will also be a drawing near to your spouse and thriving in that relationship. I want to challenge each and every one of us to pick one or two, even if it seems overwhelming to say, boy, I got to work on all of these things all at once, Pastor Steve. That's an awful lot. I don't know if I can tackle that. I would say just prayerfully pick one or two. Maybe you look at one or two of them and you say, oh, that, that's certainly me. I struggle with that. You know, oh, I have a hard time communicating or I have a hard time with respect or, or forgiveness or whatever. Maybe one or two just sort of, they really stand out at you and, and resolve to grow in those areas. And not in the sense of trying to accomplish it on your own strength as though if I just pull myself up by my bootstraps, I can change myself, I can forgive better, I can love better, I can love my spouse more and more as Christ has loved the church, if only I just put the effort in, right? Ultimately, anything that is done as a mere human endeavor on human strength will fail, right? But I would say challenge yourself to grow in that one or maybe two areas in the power and the transforming power of the Holy Spirit, because he's the one who's ultimately going to bring about the change on the inside that needs to take place for you to better and all the more faithfully live out these key principles to a healthy and thriving marriage. So that's our challenge, right? Pick one or maybe two of these really important principles, key principles to see your marriage thrive and be all the more uh, healthy for the glory of God. Pick one or two of them and come before the Holy Spirit and say, Holy Spirit, help me to grow in this area. Do the transforming work that I need in my heart and my life that I might better live this out, that I might be more of a blessing to my spouse, that my marriage might thrive that my marriage might grow in healthiness and that you ultimately, God, might be glorified all the more in the midst of it. And let's do this all for the glory of God. Amen. Let's pray. Lord God, we are grateful for the gift of marriage. What a great gift it is, a blessing to so many, Lord. But we know that the church is all too often failing at marriage. We don't look all that different than the rest of the world when it comes to divorce statistics. And that's certainly a tragedy, Lord. I pray that, Lord, you would be at work in the marriages of all of us here and in the marriages of all of those who are members of your true church all across the globe, Lord. Give us a, an understanding of your heart for relationships and certainly your heart for seeing healthiness and wholeness and thriving in marriages for the betterment and blessing of those involved, but ultimately for you and for your glory. May we have an understanding of that and seek to have our marriages grow, our marriages thrive and deepen and become more and more healthy, Lord. And toward that end, may we challenge ourselves to take on one or two of these principles for healthy marriage. May we come before you, Holy Spirit, seeking your transforming work in our lives, in our hearts, because we can't do it on our own. 
When we try on our own, on our own efforts and strength, Lord, we fail miserably. But Holy Spirit, change us on the inside that we might love in a better way, that we might sacrifice of ourselves more, that we might show forgiveness as you've forgiven us, that we might be patient and persevere in marriage, that we might communicate in a healthy, uplifting way. And Lord, give us a heart certainly for drawing near to you for its own sake, Lord, but also that we might then through that be drawn closer to our spouse. May we be challenged to do this and do it in your power and may you work in mighty ways, Holy Spirit, and grow marriages that we might be blessed and that you might be glorified in it all. In your name we pray, amen.